from Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. This is the WIA National News, news for members of the Wireless Institute of Australia for week commencing September 17, 2017. I'm Graham, VK4BB. Last week, we spoke of the two community licences not being renewed by ACMA this year. Now comes word, Hawkesbury's three Rotary Clubs will be applying for a temporary licence after Hawkesbury Radio's licence lapses next month. Assistant Governor of the Hawkesbury Clubs, Rod Rose, said the radio station was a crucial service for their community, which was why the Windsor, Richmond and Currajong North Richmond Rotary Clubs wanted to ensure it continued. Like your newspaper, it provides information about fires, floods and has been going for 35 years, he said. It also provides essential advertising for our Rotary Clubs. The Rotary application will be backed by solid experience and equipment. Assistant Governor Rose was the original chairman of Hawkesbury Radio in the early 1980s when it was still broadcasting from Richmond School of Arts. He was involved with the station for five years before the RAAF posted him back to Melbourne. When asked what the Rotary station might be called, he said the current name was the best. ACMA pushes forward to 5G spectrum planning. The Australian Communications and Media Authority at a recent ACMA spectrum tune-up session proposed to accelerate the auction of the millimetre wave band for 5G broadband. The meeting was attended by communications industry, including WIA representative Dale Hughes, VK1DSH. He notes that the ACMA has now issued a consultation paper on the topic and has invited comments by October 13. In particular, the ACMA wants to know if the 26 GHz band, that's 24.25 to 27.5 GHz, should be available for 5G broadband purposes. Dale VK1DSH said the amateur service has a primary allocation of 24 to 24.05 and a secondary allocation 24.05 to 24.25. So while not directly affected by the ACMA proposal, it is possible there may be adjacent band interference issues. The ACMA usually waits on the outcome of the ITU World Radio Communications Conference, but the next one isn't until late 2019. Who listens to radio? That go where you go medium called radio. VK2 2 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 8 both professional and citizen scientists conducted formal and informal investigations into the effect of the August 21 solar eclipse on HF radio propagation. Nathaniel Frissell, Whiskey 2 November Alpha Foxtrot of Hamsai, has said it will take some time to get a more scientific analysis of data that was compiled during the solar eclipse QSO party. He and others are investigating whether the sudden absence of sunlight during the eclipse, and especially of solar, ultraviolet and X-rays, would briefly change the properties of the upper atmosphere. 
professional, ionospheric researcher Dr. Phil Erickson, Whiskey One Pumper Juliet Echo, head of the Atmospheric Sciences Group at MIT's Haystack Observatory, said he can say categorically there was a definite large and measurable effect in the ionosphere from the eclipse. Canada's new radio telescope starts mapping the universe. Engadget reports that on September 7th, an extraordinarily powerful radio telescope has begun listening to the sounds of the universe from Canada. The Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment, or CHIME, will help scientists learn more about the history of the cosmos, radio bursts from pulsars and gravitational waves, the ripples in space-time whose existence were finally confirmed by scientists in 2016. CHIME looks like a collection of four 100-metre-long skateboarding half-pipes, but they weren't made for anybody to skate on. They were built over the last seven years to hear the very weak signals from the universe and to gather one terabyte of information per second all day, every day. One terabyte per second. That means it's constantly creating and updating a massive 3D map of space. When the 50 Canadian scientists from the University of British Columbia, the University of Toronto, McGill University and the National Research Council of Canada, NRC, started conceptualising the project, there was no system that could handle that amount of information. Thanks to advances in video game hardware, the system now exists. Since one terabyte per second is pretty insane, Chime compresses the info it gathers by a factor of 100,000 first, before saving files on disks. Now that it's up and working, Chime is ready to work towards achieving its primary goal, measuring the acceleration of the universe's expansion. An accurate measurement of the expansion will help scientists figure out what causes it, whether it's actually the mysterious form of energy that's believed to be permeating space called dark energy, or something else. By extension, the telescope's data could one day confirm if dark energy truly exists. Astronomers hunting for signs of intelligent alien life have recorded 15 mysterious radio signals coming from a dwarf galaxy 3 billion light-years away. The signals were picked up by a team at Green Bank Telescope in West Virginia, part of the Breakthrough Listen project co-launched by Professor Stephen Hawking in 2015. Although the latest fast radio bursts, or FRBs, are unlikely to have come from an alien civilization, the researchers say it proves their equipment is working and ready to pick up signs of life if they exist. FRBs are radio signals from deep space that last for just milliseconds. The new bursts come from an unknown source named FRB 121102, discovered in 2012. At first, scientists thought the signals were the fallout from a catastrophic event such as a supernova, but when they recorded again in 2015 and 2016, it suggested that whatever object produced them was still there. Yes, Minister. Radio Ham stands in parliamentary election. Stuff reports New Zealand radio amateur Basil Lawrence Sulu Lima 2 Lima Bravo Juliet is running for election to Parliament. Mike Watson writes, In a dusty, cramped kitchen surrounded by radio transmitters and cardboard boxes of files, electorate candidate for New Plymouth Basil Lawrence is plotting his campaign strategy. The pensioner has handed over the $300 deposit to the Electoral Commission to stand for Parliament. Now it's all systems go, in spite of his budget being virtually non-existent. There are no billboards erected, 
newspaper ads or flyers delivered to letterboxes. Instead, the amateur radio enthusiast will spread his political word at the local candidate meetings or by talking to friends in the street or to neighbours across the fence. It's a David and Goliath scenario, an underfunded independent candidate battling the giant party machines of the bigger candidates, the stuff of true democracy. Maybe a true ham in Parliament soon. Zulu Lima 2, Lima Bravo, Juliet. For WIA National News in Sydney, I'm Jason, VK2LAW. Media watching on WIA National News, or is it Rewind? Here's where Cold War numbers stations broadcast to spies in secret codes. If you tuned into just the right shortwave radio frequency in the 70s, you may have heard a creepy computerised voice reading out a string of numbers. It was the Cold War, and the coded messages were rumoured to be secret intelligence broadcasts from number stations, located right around the globe. Photographer Lewis Bush is obsessed with these stations to an almost irrational degree, and hunts them down in Shadows of the State, a book featuring 30 composite satellite images of alleged number stations from Germany to here in Australia. The series took two years and endless research. It's a difficult project to quantify in terms of man-hours wasted on it, he says. Bush read about the stations online only in 2012 and began tracking them down. From research done by radio enthusiasts, hints in Cold War memoirs and information in declassified documents. Once Bush locked into a general location, he often spent hours scoring Google Earth for transmitters and sites of former transmitters, keeping an eye out for clues like antennas, discoloured grass and metal rods poking out of the ground. Shadows of the State will be published by Brave Books in December this year. And Bush is also raising funds on Kickstarter for an interactive companion website. Giving you the good numbers here on VK1WIA, I'm Graham VK4BB. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. Ham Radio Operational News. It's a contact sport. I'm Felix VK for a few Q. Who and where are our broadcast stations? Check the list of all rebroadcasts on our weekly news page at wia.org.au. Whilst checking out to see if your rebroadcaster is a member of the team, remember that all Australian contest rules and results are on the contest section of the WIA website. 2017. January 1-31, December 31, the Victorian Local Government Award 2017 Challenge. October CQ WWDX SSB contest, always October's last full weekend. November CQ WWDX CW contest, always November's last full weekend. The SSB weekend is October 29-30. The CW weekend is November 26-27. 2018. John Moore Memorial Field Day will be held over the weekend 17 and 18 March 2018 and will run from UTC 0100 hours on the Saturday till 0059 on the Sunday. IAIU HF Championship event on the 15th and 16th of July. The 21st International Lighthouse and Lightship Weekend is on August the 18, 19, 2018. In Repeater News, Parrot Repeater. Polly, it's a cracker. In Lismore, New South Wales, the SARC's Parrot Repeater VK2 SRC operates on 146.575 MHz. The 25 wide FM signal comes from an Omni antenna at the tower at their club room. It records up to 3 minutes of audio and plays it back. 
you can use it to check if you're getting out, check your own voice modulation, check and set up your SSTV signals, check your own digital transmissions. In special event news, the Wireless Association of New York City's WA2NYC commemorates 9-11 anniversary. WA2NYC has been on the air since September 8 to commemorate the anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks in 2001. This station commemorates the 16th anniversary of the attack on the World Trade Center in New York City. We remember the over 2,900 people who lost their lives on that day. This special event is operating on or near 7.220, 14 14.265, 21.350 and 28.450 MHz. Note that 14.265 MHz is the operating frequency of the Salvation Army Team Emergency Network, Saturn which holds a daily net on that frequency and has been on alert for Irma and other related emergency traffic. In the UK, they have a series of permanent special event stations. A permanent special event station is one that is usually set up at a fixed venue or recurring event, and because of that is given a call sign of its own that always stays the same. Many of these permanent special event stations are set up in museums or other historical sites of amateur radio interest that can be visited. If you visit any of these places of interest, it may be useful to take your UK licence validation document with you, as you may be allowed to operate the station during your visit. Some of the stations are GB0IWM, Imperial War Museum, GB0REM, Royal Engineers Museum, Brompton Barracks, Chatham, Kent, GB0SMB, Kelvin Hatch Secret Nuclear Bunker, Kelvin Hatch, Brandwood, Essex, GB0SUB, Submarine ARC, HMS Collingwood, Newgate Lane, Farham, Hans, GB0SWR, Sir Walter Raleigh, Ship, Occasional Use, GB2AIR, South Yorkshire Aircraft Museum, Sandy Lane, Doncaster, South Yorks, GB2BP, Blenchley Park Museum, Melton Keynes. To avoid disappointment, check with the station operators beforehand to see if it's possible to operate from the station on the day of your visit. For BK1WIA National News, I'm Felix VK4FUQ Inningham. Across Australia from BK1WIA, you're tuned to the WIA National News Service in the Burdekin, Charters Towers, Townsville and Hinchinbrook regions. It can be heard on the VK4RAT Townsville VHF repeater 146.7 MHz at 9am local time every Sunday morning. On behalf of the Townsville Amateur Radio Club retransmit team, I'm Gavin, VK4ZZ. Hi, I'm Brian, VK3GR, and ahead of this week's Worldwide Special Interest Groups, first we've got Intruder Watch, the Enforcement Zone. In IARU News, we learn they're watching wireless charging technology. Electric cars are a greater threat to amateur radio than PLT. SARL News reports electric cars, or at least the charging stations, post a greater threat to amateur radio than powerline telecommunication, also known as broadband powerline BPL. The looming problem was extensively discussed at the IARU EMC committee meeting, and there's currently no consensus amongst the various technical bodies. One of the problems the committee identified is that the delegations who attend these meetings are not necessarily people experienced in radio and telecommunications, and are more concerned about how fast these electric car batteries can be charged. This is one of the aspects that will be discussed at the IARU Region 1 meeting, with a call to mobilise national societies to start talking with their standard bodies. 
The International Amateur Radio Union is considering the issue of wireless power transfer, WPT, as it continues to prepare for the ITU World Radio Communications Conference in 2019. That'll be WRC19. Jim Linton, VK3PC, WIA Secretary, says work on this issue has been underway at the ITU for some time and a report on it is available for free download. Just Google ITU report SM.2392-0 named Application of Wireless Power Transmission via Radio Frequency Beam. This report provides a lot of information on WPT systems and is currently being revised to include material directly relevant to WRC-19. Now to Worldwide Special Interest Group's Defence Technology News. Flight Recorder will act as emergency beacon. In a story filed to Amateur Radio Newsline by our editor, VK4BB, Graham says a collaboration between defence and industry will develop the equivalent of a black box for soldiers known as the Flight Recorder. Two industry partners will receive $700,000 from the federal government's Next Generation Technologies Fund, which launched in March this year to fully develop the product. Most of us know what a beacon can do for amateur radio, but a new device to be worn by members of the military give beacon operation a bit more of an urgent role. Its creators are calling it the Fight Recorder, and it's to be worn by soldiers in combat, enabling low-Earth orbit satellites to pinpoint casualties when they occur. In addition to its geolocation function, the fight recorder will also collect data useful in reconstructing whatever encounter may have preceded the casualty. The device is the result of a partnership between Australia's Ministry for Defence Industry and two companies. Moriota and Adelaide Telecommunications Company is teaming up with iMeasureU, an Auckland, New Zealand company that deals in wearable technology. The Fight Recorder, bringing dust-off to a great new height. Now, dust-off is a call sign specific to RAAF Air Ambulance Units, and it's a backronym, meaning dedicated, unhesitating service to our fighting forces. Continuing with Special Interest Group's Final Frontier, students from India and Russia build SSTV CubeSat. The Times of India reports students from Russia and India are building an amateur radio satellite that will transmit SSTV images from space. The 1U CubeSat, Iskra 5, is being built by 20 students from Moscow Aviation Institute and 9 from Indian cities like Chennai and Bangalore through Space Kids India. To mark the 70th anniversary of diplomatic relationships between the two countries, the satellite will be transported to the International Space Station by mid-October 2017 through cargo spacecraft from where it will be placed in orbit by a cosmonaut during a spacewalk. The Iskra satellites were a series of Soviet amateur communication satellites built by students and radio amateurs at the Moscow Aviation Institute in the early 1980s. Sramanthi Kessan, founder of Space Kids India, said that the subsystems in the satellite being built in MAI is made by Russian students while the outer cube has been designed by the Indian students. To worldwide special interest groups, lowdown. Maritime mobile operation on low frequency may be a first for amateur radio. What began as a let's see if we can do this effort has resulted in successful amateur radio contacts 
on 475 kilohertz by two Canadian operators aboard the sailing vessel Hakuna Matata off the coast of British Columbia. The accomplishment may be an amateur radio first. Mark Matilla, VA7MM, and Toby Hayes, VE7CNF, equipped Matilla's 31-foot offshore-equipped sloop with the gear necessary to make maritime mobile operation possible on 630 metres. The vessel already had a 46-foot mast with an insulated backstay antenna for marine and ham radio communications, critical with the antenna and RF grounding systems. The actual radiating element was a 38-foot long piece of 14-gauge wire attached to the highest point on the mast. Grounding was accomplished by using the vessel's cast steel keel and a couple of 30-foot wires near the gunnels. At a radio scouting this year, Joda will be held on the weekend of the 20th through 22nd of October. And here's the report. Hi, my name is Brett Nicholas, VK2BNN, and I have recently been appointed as the Scouts Australia National Coordinator for Jamboree on the Air, also known as Jota. My name is Lorraine O'Hare, VK2FICQ, and I'm the Girl Guides Australia National Jota Jody Coordinator. We would like to take this opportunity to thank all the amateurs who have assisted with Jota in the past and encourage both individuals and clubs to get involved with this year's event. This year, Jota will be held on the weekend of the 20th to the 22nd of October. This year is a very special year. We are celebrating the 60th anniversary since Les Mitchell, G3BHK Silent Key, Len Jarrett, VE3MYF and their radio scouting friends organised the first event in 1958. Who could have imagined that there will be well over 1 million girl guides and scouts spread over more than 150 countries participating 60 years later? Jota is fast approaching and it's time to start putting plans together and get moving with this year's event. If you haven't participated before, then the 60th anniversary is a great year to give it a go. Check out the September issue of AR Magazine for an article with further information on Jamboree on the air. If you need assistance to contact your local scout group or require further information, Scouts Australia has a JOTA coordinator in each state who can assist you. Contact details for the branch coordinators can be found on the Scouts Australia website in the International Scouting section. The easiest way to find this information is to Google JOTA contacts Scouts Australia. It comes up the second hit in my browser. If all else fails, please feel free to contact myself via email at jota.jotty at scouts.com.au. Each state also has a Girl Guides Jota Jody coordinator. Their contact details can similarly be found by searching Girl Guides Australia Jota online. This should take you to the Girl Guides Australia website, which has a Jota Jody webpage under the International Guiding tab. Otherwise, you can contact myself via email at jodajody at girlguides.org.au. Once again, the Girl Guides and Scouts Australia would like to thank the amateur radio community for their continuing support of this great annual event. Thanks, and 73. And now to Worldwide Special Interest Group's Rescue Radio, Hurricanes and an Earthquake, Ham's Help in Disasters. Hurricane Irma left significant damage in Florida, after tracking through a string of Caribbean islands, killing at least 40 people and leaving more than 7.3 million without power. 
A state of emergency continues in southern Mexico as new aftershocks occurred three days after the wake of the magnitude 8.1 earthquake last Thursday week. There does not appear to be any danger of significant damage from these aftershocks. The National Emergency Net could activate on 7.060 and 14.120 MHz and thus clear frequencies would be appreciated. The full story of Amateur Radio's involvement in providing emergency communications during the disaster is now starting to emerge. As Hurricane Irma hit Florida, the Hardy County Emergency Operations Center relied on the APRS data stations to decide when to send fire and ambulance crews back on the road. A repeater went off due to power failure, but the ingenuity of radio amateurs listening to the repeater input and transmitting on the output maintained communications through the storm. Throughout the Caribbean, there was involvement by radio amateurs not only for Irma, but the following hurricanes Cartier and Jose. Preceding them was powerful Hurricane Harvey. The weather system smashed through tropical paradises such as St. Barts and St. Martin, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, even Cuba, has reported involvement in this disaster. And that's all I've got. I'm Brian, VK3GR, signing off. Who listens to radio? That go where you go, medium called radio. VK4, Victor Kilo, X-ray, Toowoomba. K4BLB, I'm Toowoomba. K4FKDB. VK4 Tango Park, Kerry Clifton. K4 Echo Mike. VK4 FSRB, Toowoomba. VK4 November Delta Yankee, Toowoomba. Now, just ahead of the social scene, and then we wrap up this edition of WIA National News. Get your own ham license. Just visit the WIA website. It's wia.org.au. To find a club and a course near you, it's that easy. wia.org.au. In the text edition of this and every week's WIA National News, you'll find that link, and you'll also find links to Canberra, Amateur Radio New South Wales, and Amateur Radio Victoria. Their contacts, websites, phone numbers are all on the text edition. So, to the social scene, and Hamfest pushes a good message. The Shepparton and District Amateur Radio Club used its annual Hamfest last Sunday to score good promotion for the hobby. The North Central Victoria Daily newspaper, Shepparton News, carried a pictorial story in the print edition and online version looking at the Hamfest and just what is amateur radio. SAN Dark Secretary Andy Ashley, VK3AJA, said the meeting had been held annually for the past 30 years, attracting interest from across Victoria. His message was very clear that although amateur radio had started 100 years plus ago, it makes those involved learn about modern things and techniques. VK3AJA told the Shepparton News reporter Tara Whitsed that amateur radio played an important role in times of natural disasters. He says, you can talk to people around the world from your bedroom or even further, you can speak to astronauts on the International Space Station. Also, Andy told of a Melbourne-based group who succeeded in getting a school principal to add ham radio to the curriculum as an elective subject. The article gave an overview of the ham fest held last Sunday at the St Augustine's Hall, Or Street in Shepparton. Now coming up on October 29... Hi, this is Craig, VK3WAR, on behalf of the Yarra Valley Amateur Radio Group. 
Join us on Sunday, October the 29th for our annual ham fest at the Gary Cooper Pavilion in Yarra Glen. Doors open from 10am till 2pm. Entrance fee of $7 includes tea and coffee. For table bookings, phone Colin, VK3CNW, on 0423-535-988. Hope to see you there on Sunday, October the 29th. And it looks like we've got but two ham fests left in this year. November 5, it's the VK3 Barg Hamvention at the Greyhound Racetrack Ballarat. And November 12 in VK5, it's Adelaide Hills Amateur Radio Society, the ham fest at 8am. November 12 in VK3, it's Rosebud's annual celebration of all things amateur radio. As we leave you a reminder when supplying Hamfest info, we obviously can't plug commercial traders on air, but we at the WIA will put your supporters in this text edition, no worries. And we would appreciate items no longer than two minutes in length, as we do only have a half-hour time slot window. Remember, the sooner you submit material, the more the likelihood of it being broadcast in the very next edition of WIA National Years. But each item will only be broadcast once. If you want a couple of mentions, please submit different slants to keep your event fresh. And also, if the newsroom is to read your item, write it in the third person. Hi, this is Greg, VK2 GPK, with this week's comment from the WIA board. This week I'm going to talk about the finances and the future of the WI and some of the hard decisions we've already made to ensure the WI continues as a relevant and viable organisation into the future. It is now 100 days or just over three months since the current WI board has been in place. In that time, we've gone on a journey of discovery of the reach and range of various issues and challenges facing the WI now and in the near future. It has also taken a few weeks for the board, who met face-to-face for the first time at the 2017 WIAGM, to settle in and operate as a cohesive group, which I'm glad to say is now the case. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. The discussions are both lively and constructive, and this board definitely doesn't suffer from the group think syndrome. In my last broadcast six weeks ago, I stated that WIA has been operating at a loss for the past few years of approximately 50,000 per annum, and that the magazine was the major expense of the WIA with an expenditure of $180,000 last financial year. By the way, the WIA's financial year is January 1 to December 31. So when we started after the AGM, we were already halfway through the financial year. We triage the issues facing the WIA, giving urgent priority to maintaining the WIA as a going concern. This was in no way assured at the time we took control of the WIA. The scope of these urgent priorities focus on budget control, expense reduction, meeting our contractual obligations with ACMA, getting governance formalised to corporate standards and getting member feedback on our initiatives. This has been our focus to now and will continue as our prime focus into the near future. The focus on governance led us to constitute the Audit and Risk Committee and the Strategic Advisory Committee as subcommittees of the board. These two committees are best practice governance approaches and based on the Australian Stock Exchange recommended guidelines for Australian corporations. This week the board acted on the AR magazine's future. Taking into account cost-saving input from the publications team, contract change lead times and feedback from the continuation of a paper magazine. 
As a result, we have direct, now directed that the number of issues change from the current 11 to 6, starting with the first issue of 2018 in February. This will hopefully produce cost savings in the vicinity of 30% for the full 2018 financial year. It will have no impact this financial year. A few members of the WIA board, including myself, plus a past treasurer who was treasurer from 2009 to 2015, have been in a working group with a series of meetings with ACMA to finalise issues raised by ACMA of under-recovery of WIA costs in servicing the ACMA contract for the 2016 financial year. The past treasurer was involved at the request of directors due to his historical knowledge and prior involvement with the initial implementation of the contract. Under the contract, the WIA is expected to operate the licence and exam functions we carry out on ACMA's behalf at cost recovery only. That is, that the fees we charge should cover our costs without either a significant under or over recovery. A small percentage, say 5% either way, is fine. Our current under recovery is around 20%. In fact, it's slightly more than that. This has occurred for two reasons. The number of exams has dropped and the time and costs of servicing the licensing component of the contract have increased. The license costs we charge, in many cases, have not even gone close to recovering our costs. For example, a standard random license issue is priced at $5, yet this typically involves multiple phone calls, an ACMA contact, three or more emails. The rest, the real cost of this is many times what we currently charge. As a result, the board has agreed in principle, after discussions with and with the support of ACMA, to increase the ACMA contract charges, which haven't changed since 2009, by an inflation-related adjustment of around 15% or so. We will also rebalance the charges to more closely relate to the real cost. We're also hoping to keep the entry-level exam and licence rises minimal, if any. Whilst these increases will not be popular, as directors it is our fiduciary responsibility to make these changes. We will advise these changes prior to the end of the year, most likely to take effect January 2018. With these changes made and membership levels holding steady, or hopefully better, the WA will return to cash flow positive from early 2018. This will be a major milestone for us as a board. Finally, from me on financial issues facing the board, we have found issues with the treatment of accruals in this year's account, which have been recorded under cash accounting rather than as accruals. The most significant impact of this is how five-year memberships, which are effectively future-dated income, are treated in the accounts. It doesn't affect the cash flow of the WI in any way, but does impact the profit and loss reporting. Although as a not-for-profit, we technically only have surpluses and losses, not profits. The impact is that the interim first half-year results we inherited from the prior board actually show an incorrect, I'll say notional profit. The underlying cash flow for the WIA is negative, as I advised prior, and the WIA will inevitably um, finish this year with a loss. How this change to the accounts happened is unclear and given the revolving door of treasurers in 2016, it may remain unclear. What is clear is that whomever made the changes to the account treatment in MYOB 
for 2017 did not understand um, accrual accounting. We have a small finance working group addressing this now and we'll publish the original half-year results and the adjusted results with the accruals reinstated when, when completed. It is for this reason we have not yet appointed a treasurer or CFO and even if we did, the board cannot abdicate its responsibility to resolve this issue. As a director, all I can say is, are we having fun yet? And the answer currently is in the negative. Once we have secured the future of the WI as a going concern by addressing the urgent priority areas I mentioned prior, we move into the next focus area. That is the reinvention of the WI into a more agile and relevant organisation for the 21st century. A non-trivial task and not something that is achieved overnight or ever finished for that matter. This is where the WI Strategy Committee will get traction over the coming months. This includes action to reinvigorate the various committees, some of which are dysfunctional, dysfunctional and haven't met for over 18 months. The website is also in need of a refresh. Whilst it has a huge amount of great information, there is a lot of no longer current information that needs to be reviewed and updated. We ask for your patience as we can't address everything immediately. These tasks take time and dedicated volunteers. As I've said before, the WIA is a totally volunteer organisation, with the exception of two full-time office staff, and the WIA needs you. All our volunteer positions are now going up on Seek Volunteer, so please check it out. This is Greg Kelly, VK2GPK, on behalf of the WIA board. Thank you. Now I'm Graham, VK4BB, out of here, reminding you to walk softly. From Australia, this has been VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service. On RF, we thank our rebroadcast team and you for listening. And remember, internet streaming and text of this news is available 24-7 at wia.org.au.